there. Welcome to ATL and 29, a Peachtree Hoops podcast where we look at the NBA from the starting point of Atlanta. I'm coming to you with a quickie recap after the Hawks 117-111 loss to the San Antonio Spurs in San Antonio. The streak continues. The Hawks haven't won in San Antonio since 1997. It's pretty crazy. Honestly, this isn't the most fascinating game. I mean, technically, I suppose you could say it's interesting because there are a lot of oddities, but the stakes are weird, the basketball's weird. The fact that there are oddities doesn't necessarily make it in any way compelling. Uh, But let's review the game nonetheless. Let's start with the three stars. For my third star, let me go with Alex Len, who seems to be pretty comfortable in the Len led the starters with 21 points, made 7 of 11 shots, 4 of 5 threes, he had 5 rebounds and 3 assists, and all in all a strong game, finishing at the rim and making his shots. The oddest part about Alex Len's game is that he didn't play for the last 7 minutes. Uh, you know, Given the construction of the Hawks roster at the moment where they only have 4 bigs, Len, Vince Carter, Deontay Davis, and Isaac Humphreys, who was making his NBA debut tonight, it seemed awfully strange that Len wasn't there down the stretch in a close game. The Hawks went into the fourth quarter with the lead. Uh, They were trying to hold on. DeMar DeRozan kept the Spurs in it in the fourth quarter by getting to the line a bunch of times. Had some finishes in the lane, as did Derek White. After the game, Lloyd Pierce was asked about it, and here's what he said. And it wasn't just Len, there was also a stretch late in the fourth where Jalen Adams came in for Trey Young. And here's what Pierce said, and I'm going to read this one, so uh, it's not going to be terribly exciting when I read these quotes, but uh, let's go with it nonetheless. Pierce said, defense, defense. We just struggled trying to contain Derek White, who I think was 9 for 11 for the game. I just needed a different matchup. We knew we were going to have to go defense for offense down the stretch, but we needed to get stops. And that was the biggest thing. Us scoring wasn't going to be an issue. It was going to be us trying to get stops. That was really the biggest part. 1-5 pick and roll with Derek White and LaMarcus Aldridge. I thought Deontay was doing a good job on LaMarcus, and he was physical, and he was cleaning up on the glass and just presenting. But we had to contain the basketball, and I wanted to get Jalen who, as I said, was great on both ends of the floor, and I just thought it was a moment to maybe step up down there. I don't think that Jalen Adams, you will we'll get to Jalen Adams in a minute, I don't think that he necessarily did step up down the stretch. He was very, very good in the second half. Uh, but in those final few moments, when he was in there late for Trey Young, he really wasn't getting the stops on Derek White, and they weren't containing the 1-5 pick and roll. So, uh, certainly strange. Maybe less so on the account of Trey Young, just because I don't think it was a good night for Trey Young defensively. Uh, the Spurs were kind of able to do what they wanted against him. Such a big point guard in Derek White. They got a lot of the looks that they wanted, and so I can kind of see why they went with Jalen Adams over Trey Young if you want to get the defense, but it's it's certainly a little bit weird that Deontay Davis was in there late for Len. Davis did some things. You know, he was moving his feet. He was kind of getting in the middle of the lane and deflecting away the passes in that 1-5 pick and roll a little bit. You could kind of see him getting his hands in there. But still, just 
overall package, it's hard to see how Deontay Davis was going to lead a comeback better than Alex Len. Uh, so, so strange on that account for sure. For the second star, let's go with Jalen Adams. Jalen had a weird game. You know, after the game, Pierce said that Jalen Adams was the best hawk on the floor, maybe. And Jalen Adams didn't make a shot. Jalen Adams was 0 for 8 on the night, 0 points. But, and here's the point that Pierce made, and I, agree, I do agree with this. The Hawks were using a bench lineup. They only had 10 players. And there were at times where they had all five bench players out there. So we're talking Jalen Adams, Kent Bazemore, DeAndre Bembry, and then the two relatively new big men, Deontay Davis and Isaac Humphreys. And you look at that lineup on paper and say, where are the points going to come from? How is this going to work? And Adams was the floor general in the second half that had the Hawks making an improbable comeback. And if you watch the third quarter early into the fourth quarter, Adams was by far making the best passes of his career. He finished the night with seven assists, zero turnovers, and that stretch late in the third quarter, early in the fourth quarter, you know, he's, he was making penetration and then using that to find people, and he was doing a terrific job of it. So considering that he has two new big men who probably didn't know where they were supposed to be on the floor at all times, uh, and, you know, two two defensive-oriented bigs in Baysmore and Bembry, and we'll talk a little bit more about that in a minute, uh, just all things considered, the fact that the bench was able to produce consistent offense and was really the place where the Hawks gained their edge in this game. Uh, good things good things from Jalen Adam in this one. He really did have some control on the game despite going over eight. And for the number one star, let's go with the slump buster. Kent Bazemore hasn't had a great March or April. He was terrific in this one. 26 points, 10 of 16 shots. Made 5 of 7 threes, 4 rebounds, 2 assists, 3 steals. He was getting his hands in the passing lanes, uh, as was DeAndre Bembry. And, and on the whole, that 5-man bench unit, Davis, Bazemore, Bembry, Humphreys, Adams, those five players combined for eight steals. They were getting stuff done defensively, offensively. They really, you know, all things considered, what, what, what could you expect in that situation on the road against a playoff team with, with that kind of shorthanded lineup? It was impressive that they were able to get things done. I know I've, I've doubted that kind of lineup at times, but it certainly worked in this one. But the biggest thing for Bazemore is that just for the first time in a long time, he looked comfortable shooting the ball. You know, it, it didn't look like he was off with his shot. I mean, he just he was just catch fire. It didn't look like he was thinking about it. No hesitation. Uh, for a long time now, Baze has struggled with that shot. And today, that was definitely not the case. So if that's something that works for Bazemore and he keeps that shot going, he's going to be uh, certainly a productive player down the stretch here. Okay, looking at the rest of the game, you know, what really happened in this one? For the first three quarters, the Spurs got fiery hot shooting in the first quarter. And then again in the third quarter, they were just hitting a preposterous percentage of their shots. Their starters were very, very good from the field. Their bench players, not so much. Marco Bellinelli made a couple of shots late, but for most of the night, he was not good with the jump shot 
And the Hawks starters, you know, defensively weren't so hot. But then you look at the offense, and while the Spurs had their torrid stretches in the first quarter and in the third quarter, the Hawks were staying in the game. And as we mentioned before, they were leading at the end of three quarters. Why? Well, even though they didn't shoot as well as the Spurs did, they were just getting a lot of extra possessions. The Hawks had, for the game, 11 offensive rebounds to the Spurs' four offensive rebounds. The Hawks had 13 steals, most of the majority of those coming from the bench, while the Spurs only had six steals. And for the game, the Hawks had just 11 turnovers, so they had more steals than they did turnovers, which is obviously a sign that they did a pretty good job protecting the ball. So the Hawks were getting through offensive rebounds and steals and not turning the ball over, they were getting more possession than the Spurs. And on some of those steals, they were getting runouts uh, for good offense from DeAndre Bembry and Kent Bazemore. So you know, even though Bays missed a dunk on one of those runouts, they were, they were doing better in terms of uh, gaining possessions and getting things through fast break points. Looking at Trey Young's night, you know, it was a struggle for him defensively. He wasn't able to contain Derek White. Derek White made 10 of 12 shots on the night, scored 23 points, so not a great night for Trey Young defensively. Offensively, the Spurs showed him a lot of respect. Uh, maybe the Spurs were looking at what the Hawks had on their roster and said, okay, you know, given what's there for the Hawks, let's get the ball out of Trey Young's hands and see what everybody else can do. So all night long, Trey was facing traps from the Spurs. That made it difficult for him to get his shot going. For the game, Trey Young had 15 points on 5 of 15 shooting. He didn't make any of his six attempts from three. Uh, but he did manage the trap. You know, give him credit for that. As hard as the Spurs were trapping him, he finished with six assists, zero turnovers. He kept the ball moving when the Spurs were trapping. And, you know, the six assists, I'm sure he probably had some hockey assists in there too because it took more than one pass to get the ball around the trap and in a position for someone to get an easy score. You know, the shooting wasn't great from Trey and the defense really wasn't great from Trey. But offensively, to deal with that trap and get six assists and no turnovers and to run an offense that, you know, more or less kept the Hawks in the game against a good team on the road, that that's pretty good. Shout out to my co-host, Tyler. Tyler was going nuts on the Spurs. He called them a college team. He said any team that runs a zone should be banished. He took them to task for their love of mid-range jump shots. He took him to task for a lot of things, for the fact that they, you know, relied so heavily on the defense of their perimeter players. He said that as soon as they lose their athleticism, the Spurs will once again be trash. It was, it was great theater from Tyler on Twitter tonight. His his account is a protected account, but if he lets you see it, it you, you definitely gotta check that one out. One thing that I'm interested in here down the stretch is what do you all think of the cluster that that Dallas pick is in? Dallas is tied for the sixth worst record. There's a cluster of teams, Dallas, Memphis, New Orleans, Washington, 
all bundled within a half game of each other, and those teams have the 6th through ninth worst records. It's tricky because there are reasons for wanting to get the pick right away. You know, what if Dallas is good next year? What if next year's draft isn't as deep as this one? You know, another reason to want to get the pick to convey now is that there's some value in having your picks consolidated in terms of timeline. You know, you want to get those high picks bundled together because, you know, you've got a timeline with John Collins and Kevin Herter and Trey Young. They're all on these rookie contracts and you've got cap space. And once some of these players start coming up for extensions, it'll be harder to have that cap space. So if you get the pick sooner, then you can keep those timelines in more of a condensed time frame. On the other hand, the more games Dallas wins down the stretch, the better their record, the worse they fall into the lottery odds, that makes it more likely that the pick will convey this season. Uh, because you know the odds will be such that it's less likely that they can jump into the top five and keep their pick, thus conveying it to the Hawks this season. So there's some value in that. What's the flip side of it? Well, the flip side of it is if Dallas loses these games and they stay in the sixth spot, you know, one spot above Atlanta, who's in the fifth spot. If they stay in the sixth spot, the floor for that pick, or at least the functional floor for that pick, because I'm going to ignore tenths of percentage points. The floor of the pick is better if Dallas loses. So, you know, if Dallas wins, it's more likely the pick conveys this year. But if Dallas loses, there's more likelihood that it's a better pick. And so it's this give and take here of, you know, what what do you wish for? You know, what, what do you hope to see from Dallas at the end of the season here? They have a home-and-home home series coming up this weekend against Memphis that's going to go a long way to determining the lottery odds. Uh, but it's interesting. You know, if Dallas continues to lose games, that floor for the pick, if it conveys to Atlanta this season, the floor is much better. What are those floors? Well, if Dallas stays in the sixth spot, the theoretical floor for the pick is number 10. But that's only a two-tenths of a percent chance because it's going to be very hard for four teams to leapfrog them in the lottery. So really the functional floor for that pick, if they stay in the sixth spot, is the number nine spot. If Dallas wins a bunch of games and somehow it manages crazily enough to end up with the ninth worst record, that makes it more likely that the pick will convey to Atlanta this season, but the floor of that pick drops. The theoretical floor for that pick is that it could go as low as 13, uh, but it's going to be really hard for four teams to leapfrog the team with the ninth worst record. Uh, so really, even though the, the theoretical floor is the 13th pick, it's probably something more like the 11th pick, because it's going to be really hard for it to be 12 or 13. That would be some mathematical uh, craziness happening if that were to happen. So interesting to consider. You know, if, if Dallas wins, that makes it more likely to convey, but it also could possibly make it a lower pick.
If Dallas loses, there's less likelihood of it conveying this year, but there's a better likelihood of it being a better pick. So there's a give and take there, and I'm interested to hear what you think about that one. And last thing, Travis Schlenk was on 92.9 FM this morning, Tuesday morning. He talked about a few things. It's probably worth your time if you want to hear it to go dig that interview up in their sound archive. But, uh, you know, he said he's in Europe. He said he'd already been to Belgrade, Serbia. He was in Athens, Greece. And he would be going also to Ljubljana, Slovenia and Vilnius, Lithuania on this same trip. And as far as the Greece portion, it was kind of interesting to hear the cat and mouse version uh, the radio hosts were certainly interested in hearing who and what he was looking at in Greece. Obviously, Travis can't name names, so they played some games trying to talk about you know what it was he was going to see. He said he was going to go see one EuroLeague game and also one local game. And as far as the person that he was out there to see, he said uh, that the person was 210. And he was clearly kind of playing around, masking from the host that what he was really talking about was the metric system. That's the height for a tall basketball player, somebody who's around 6'11". So, you know, trying to figure out what EuroLeague games are taking place in Athens this week and figuring out who is 6'11 in Athens, Greece. Hard to find anybody who actually fit that description I couldn't fit it really to anybody who would actually be in this draft looking at the four teams that might play in Athens this week. So, I don't know. The one possibility that I could come up with, and this one's a little bit of a stretch because it isn't somebody who's actually eligible for this draft, but it's John Collins' old teammate from Wake Forest, Dinos Mitoglou. Uh He'll be playing in Athens this week. He's six foot eleven. He knows John Collins. He can make threes. Uh, he's only twenty three, but he he's he's already gone undrafted. So that wouldn't be somebody that they could draft in this draft. That would be somebody that the Hawks, if they were actually interested, they'd have to sign as a free agent. But who knows? Uh, that's really trying to piece things together <laughs> via conspiracy theory. It is interesting though that the Hawks. You know, have Travis in Europe. That's certainly not unusual by any stretch, but it just, it's going to make sense for the Hawks to draft somebody from Europe if they end up keeping all these picks because it's going to be hard to put, if you have five draft picks, put five new players on an NBA roster. Uh, that's hard to do. So it seems possible that the Hawks could be looking. For someone in this upcoming draft that they could draft and stash. And if that's not who they're looking for necessarily in Athens, uh, clearly at some point in the trip, Travis is going to be looking at some draft and stash candidates. All right, that's all I got. As always, rate, subscribe, review. It's awfully late. Getting out of here and uh, have a good one and thank you for listening.